Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 19, and it's good to be with you. So let's open up our time in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your word, not only teaching us and challenging us, but Lord, giving us new insight into who you are and to who we are. Lord, as we approach your word today, we pray that you would teach us, that you would transform us, and that you would move in our hearts. We just thank you for your grace over us, your grace over our church, our families, our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family, as we begin today, we're just continuing our study in the book of Acts, and we are now at Acts 19. So let's uh, read the first seven verses of chapter 19 of the book of Acts. And the scripture says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Notice that. They received the Holy Spirit at the same time they believed. It wasn't a secondary event. That's God's plan, that as we receive Jesus, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The scripture goes on and says, And he said, and they said, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into then what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, that's talking about John the baptism, the baptizer. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Not only did they receive the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues, their prayer language, to glorify Jesus, but they also received the prophecy to where they began to declare through the ministry of the Spirit to others the Lord Jesus Christ and all he'd done. Verse 7 concludes and says, And there were in all about 12 men. Luke doesn't tell us exactly how many. He says it's about 12 people. So as we begin to look at the scripture, first we're going to look at the believers that were in Ephesus. And the focus in on this as the gospel continues to grow throughout the world, we're also looking at the growth of the church in Asia Minor. And as we're looking at the growth of the church in Asia, we're looking specifically at Ephesus. Ephesus was a very important city. is one of the largest cities in the Roman world. had over 250,000 people in it. So it was a major advancement for the kingdom of God to have the gospel move through this area. So as uh, Paul approaches these believers... Um, they really didn't completely understand the gospel. And the reason that they didn't understand the gospel was it says that Apollos had been their teacher, and he was acquainted only with the baptism of John, and that, as Acts 18.25 declares that. 
And so these men were followers of John the Baptist. So they were looking for a move of God. They were looking for the promise of God. Paul's first question to these men, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Remember again that it was an instantaneous, it came with salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the book of Acts that when people believed, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, we will receive power, then we shall be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end parts of the earth. We've been baptized with power by the Spirit to be witnesses. Their response is, We do not know if the Holy Spirit is. So when they make this statement, they did know about the Holy Spirit because, again, they were disciples of John. And John the Baptist taught about the Messiah, and John said that it was the Messiah that would baptize with the Holy Spirit. One of the references for this is Mark chapter 1, verse 8. They were saying then that they had not heard that the Holy Spirit's blessing had arrived. And so Paul asked them another question, and he says, into what were you baptized? And they say, into John the Baptist baptism. Their answer revealed that they were truly followers of the living God. They were seeking for more of the Lord. They wanted to know him, but their knowledge was incomplete. The in The issue was their understanding was limited to John the Baptist's understanding of Jesus. What were they missing? They were not understanding Jesus' death on the cross for them and that each of them had to make a personal decision and invite Jesus into their heart as their Lord and Savior. So Paul, in his ministry, the scripture really doesn't tell us all that Paul ministered to him. It's just a brief account And the account is about the church being established in Ephesus through these men. But Paul ministered to them, and they did believe because he baptized them in water, and then he prayed for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So as Paul ministered to these men, he explained that John's ministry was to reveal the one who was to come and to call people into repentance. Repentance means a complete turnaround. It's turning away from the world, away from sin, and turning towards the living God. Their knowledge of Jesus was incomplete. Why? Because John the Baptist died before Jesus went to the cross and Jesus raised again from the dead. So John only knew partially that Jesus was the promised Messiah, so he told all that he knew, but his knowledge was incomplete. So anyone that was following them, Apollos as their teacher, was incomplete in their full knowledge of what Jesus had done for mankind. So Paul is going to fill in the blanks, and he's going to explain Jesus' ministry. He explained it in more detail, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the outpouring of the Spirit. And we know that these men believed, again, because they were baptized in water and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were saved. They confessed their faith in the Lord. And notice this as we're moving on, that the Christian life involves repentance, saving faith in Jesus, embracing the work of the cross, which we do through our life, being baptized in water. It is a part of salvation. It's a declaration of our faith in him. We have water baptism services coming up soon. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit.
as we continue on, let's look at Paul's ministry at Ephesus. After these men are saved, then Paul continues to minister to the church at Ephesus. Let's read verses 8 through 10. And the scripture says, if I get into the right verse here, uh, and he entered into a synagogue and continued to speak out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way about Christians, before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. These... This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. They ministered in such power and such love that the gospel spread quickly throughout the region. Now when it says everybody knew, sure, everybody didn't know, but a large portion of the population knew the truth about Jesus Christ. So as Paul was ministering in Ephesus, he first teaches in the synagogue, and that was his normal pattern to go into the synagogue and teach the Jews. He loved the Jewish people. He was a Jew. He wanted them to understand who Jesus was as Jesus had touched his own life and transformed him. He wanted that same for his countrymen. But also, he was also the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's ministering to both. And the scripture tells us that he spoke for three months in the synagogue about the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, there is three emphases in scripture about the kingdom of God. The first emphasis is the kingdom of God can refer to heaven itself, to the place that God dwells. That's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The second emphasis the scripture can have on the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God can refer to God's saving activity on earth. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is among you. That was because he, as the Savior, was ministering here. That reference can be found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. And the third emphasis, the kingdom of God, can refer to the coming messianic age that which is to come when Jesus returns. What a promise. The word says, Maranatha, may you come quickly, Lord. He is the one that's going to come and rule over this earth and set everything right. And that reference is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 21. And that is what Paul was talking about specifically in teaching the Jews in the synagogue was that the messianic age would come. Why would he do this? Well, the Jewish scholars were questioning him. If Jesus is the Messiah and he was the one that was the promised one, where's the kingdom of God? Remember again that the Jewish people were looking for a political ruler to establish the kingdom of God, to rid the, world, the Jewish people of the oppression of the world, and to exalt them above all nations and bring peace to the earth. The one thing that they missed was they didn't understand the complete work of the Messiah because the scripture teaches us that the Messiah is the son of David and that was Jesus born of the line of David. It teaches us that he is the son of man, that he is the heavenly son of man. Jesus called himself that often, both declaring that he was the Messiah but also that he was man. And then the third reference to the scripture was the, mess, the Messiah would be the suffering servant. 
many of the Jews at this time and still today do not completely understand the work of the Messiah in this process. And yet it is clearly pictural. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who bears the sin of the world. He was a sacrificial lamb that was to come. So Paul is explaining why the biblical messianic promises had not been completely fulfilled. And the reason for this was that there was going to be two events of the Messiah, the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah. In the first coming, the Messiah came as the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, to die for the sin of the world, to raise again from the dead, and to atone for humanity's sin. Jesus has completed this work on the cross, been buried for us, raised for our justification, and he has ascended into heaven where he intercedes for us. He is our intercessor for us, and he has sent the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' second coming, the complete promises of the Messiah will be fulfilled as Jesus comes to rule over the earth, to bring peace to the earth, and to bring righteousness. So Paul was working with the Jewish people, helping them understand the complete work in the mission of the Messiah. The word tells us that many did respond and many believed in this, but then there were others that just continued to mock and disrupt the people because it didn't fit within their belief system or what they thought the Messiah needed to be or should be. An important note there for us here. Those who believe in Jesus, the kingdom of God is present because Jesus lives within us. The Messiah lives within us. We have wisdom, we have healing, we have joy, we have protection, we have provision, we have anointing to bring that kingdom that resides within us. The word says that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to bring that to other people and to bless them with that. And so because of the opposition, because of their refusal to believe, and because they were disturbing those who wanted to learn more, Paul withdraws from them. And he says that he goes to Tyrannus's school. Now, the name Tyrannus could mean tyrant. We don't know who this individual was, but the simple fact is that he had a large auditorium that Paul could use for teaching. And the teaching was often midday from about noon to about 4 p.m. because in the climate, it was a very hot climate, so people would take a break from work during that time. And so they were able to hear and to learn about the Lord. And it says that even though through much opposition, many were saved, many were trained and sent out. Let's continue our study as we look at verses 11 and 12. And the word says that God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that the handkerchiefs or aprons were carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out them. So we find that God himself, it says God was performing the miracles through Paul. It doesn't say that Paul was performing the miracles. And family, the word again says that it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. We present ourselves as temples. We present ourselves as instruments to God, and he moves through us to carry out the works of Jesus. Jesus said, the works I do, you will do, and greater works than these you will do. Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit, it is the presence of the living God that reaches through us and touches and healings. Our pastors say it's 
God's hand on our hand as we pray for people that God delivers them and heals them. So it says that the miracles were performed by God through Paul. Paul's ministry was then more than preaching and teaching. Family, signs and wonders confirm the gospel that it is true. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4 confirms this fact that it is the signs and wonders. It is not just teaching, but it is manifesting the kingdom of God as we minister to other people. And remember, family, that we're all ministers because we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have those giftings that have been placed in our life to minister for Jesus. And as we step out in faith, God uses that faith to touch other people's lives and to transform them. So it says, through him in person, And through his clothing, that which was next to his skin, as that was carried away and placed on people, that they were delivered of demonic oppression and that they were delivered of illness and sickness. And when it talks about handkerchiefs, we think of these little things that we carry in our pocket and that. That is not what's being talked about at all. It's rather gross. It's the sweat cloth. When we were down in Arizona, we were working in the shop, we were working in a warehouse, and it was like 120 degrees in there. We would have these cloths that we would wipe our face and wipe our arms off um, just for some refreshment. And in the climate that Paul was living, it was a very hot climate. And so they'd have these cloths that they'd wipe their faces with. And that's what was being carried away from Paul and being placed on others. The other thing it talks about it is work apron. And it's like I used to work at a grocery store and we wore these aprons and you'd get all kinds of food particles on them and dirt and things like that. It was something that was not necessarily clean. It was a work apron. It was stained. It was sweat upon. It was dirty. But people were taking those things in faith and placing them on the sick and the demonically oppressed, and they were being set free from this. Let's go on and read verses 13 through 17. And the scripture says, but also some of the Jewish exorcists went from place to place, attempting to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a uh, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit Uh, was, leaped on them, and subdued all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was being magnified. So the scripture goes on and talks about exorcism. Now, Uh, Josephus tells us that the Solomon, the king, was known for all of his wisdom, but also known because he had certain rites of exorcism, and he was actually known to bring deliverance to people that had evil spirits. And uh, history tells us that he wrote these things down, and these things were passed on to the Jewish people, and they were still being used during the day of Jesus. But the men saw that Jesus' name was more powerful than that which Solomon even had had, and so they decided to use this name. 
The Jewish exorcist often would deliver people from evil spirits and receive payment for that. Now, when it talks about the seven sons of Sceva, it could be seven disciples. It's not necessarily physical sons, but it could be those disciples. There really is no history of him of being a chief priest. We're not sure if he was a priest or if he was over an order of priests. There's no historical fact about it. It could be the fact that his disciples called him the chief priest. We're just not sure. But one thing that we know is a fact that the story is true and that these men were attempting to deliver somebody from a demonic spirit, again, remember for pay, um, in the name of Jesus. And so as they're doing this, they're using the name of Jesus not because they're in relationship with him, but because they have heard and seen that the name of Jesus has more power over them. And so they found that they were going to use the name because Paul had been successful, so let's use this name. But when they tried to do this, they had no faith. And because they had no faith in the Lord Jesus, the demonic being completely overpowered them and beat them and send them out of the house naked. So um, there was victory in the sense that this became known throughout the city and throughout Asia. And the fact is that there was a proclamation that the name of Jesus was all-powerful, but also that it was only the name of Jesus that truly had authority over the demonic world. But for that to be used, it had to be used in correct relationship. Specifically, we're told in the Scripture that the fear was upon the people and great glory was given to the Lord because of His power to set the captives free. God used this to proclaim His goodness. Let's move on in our study and let's look at verses 17 through 20. And the scripture says, This became known to all both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many of those who had believed, many of those who believed, kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. Remember Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, as God judged them for their dishonesty and their greed. Um, Fear fell upon the church. Well, again, in the Gentile church, this has caused fear to fall upon the people. Verse 19, And many of those who were practicing magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, And they counted up the price of them and found out 50,000 pieces of silver were the worth of these books. And the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And so we have the advancement of the gospel. We have signs and wonders. We have people being drawn to Jesus. There is victory in the gospel that we see. So the result of the failed exorcism that we just read about it has became known to the whole city, to the Greeks and to the Jew. And remember, this was a very affluent city. It was a very spiritual city. It was known for its demonic activity and its magic arts, the practice of magic arts. And so we see the result of this um, activity of the demonic world, that fear fell upon the city, that Jesus was being glorified, But specifically on those who believed, there was the fear of the Lord that was placed on their life. 
You see, they had come to know Jesus, but they continued to practice their magic arts. The city was known for having spells, for protection, for prosperity, for healing. And it was often that they'd have different chants that they would say. And they also had these little tubes that they would wear on their arms with these promises or chants put inside. And that was meant to heal them and cure them. There was a lot of different magic scrolls and things that were out there. And when the fear of the Lord swept over the church, they stopped doing their magic arts. There was a holy fear and a cleansing that took place in their lives. And it says many who were practicing the magic began to burn their books in the sight of all. We're done with this. We're following Jesus only. And they added up. It was a substantial amount of money that these things were worth. They didn't pass them on to others. They destroyed them because they were false and they were destroying other people's lives. And the word of the Lord supernaturally spread through the city. A biblical key here, repentance, the fear in the Lord, and holiness are all needed. We are called to be a holy people. The term Christian means that we're Christ-like. And for each of our lives, we're to live in such a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. And as we bring glory and honor to his name, then it advances the gospel. All of these things are needed to spread the gospel The success of the gospel depends upon the life that the people of God live as we respond to the Lord and we respond to the witness of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to be a people that reflect his holiness, his righteousness, and his love to the world around. Let's continue our study as we look at verses 23 through 26. There is the victory of the gospel, and now we're going to see the opposition against the gospel as the gospel has continued to spread. It says, about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. Remember, the way is Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, and also it could be called Diana, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. There he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in Almost all Asia, this Paul is persuading and turning away a considerable number of people saying, the gods made with hands are no gods at all. What a truth. The gods made with hands are no gods at all. So again, the gospel has spread. There's victory. There's the fear among the people, the fear among the church. And so at this point, Demetrius causes an uproar in Ephesus and, uh, A great disturbance arose concerning the way. He was a silver shrine maker. They were losing money. They were losing business because people were destroying their idols and they were no longer serving these false gods. They were turning to the living God. Paul was turning the people away from false worship to true worship. Let's continue on and see how this progresses in verses 27 through 29. And the scriptures Not only is there a danger that our trade of ours will fall into disrepute, 
but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia, a little exaggeration there, and all of the world, a big exaggeration there, worship, will even be dethroned from her magnificence. And when they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, saying, Great is Artemis of Ephes- of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, and Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And so the argument Demetrius changes, and as it changes here, his attack began to focus on for selfish reasons, the loss of income, the loss of status, and he declares that their trade would cease. There would be no need for it. Praise God about that. There is no need when we serve the living God. And so he turns his focus just away from the need of the craftsman to the need of the city or civic pride and religious fear. And he says that the temple will fall into disuse. Now remember, the temple was a civic center. It was more than just simply being used for um, worship. It seated about 25,000 people. Um, But it was also the central banking center for the city and for the tradesmen. And so it was really harming the income, not only of the craftsmen, but the city as well. And then he said that Artemis would be dethroned. And uh, she was one of the Greek goddesses. She was known as the virgin goddess of the moon, uh, of wild animals. She was seen to have wild animals around her, depicted that way. And she was also the goddess of hunting. And she was regarded as a fertility goddess. So in all of this, they're saying our way of life, our worship is being destroyed. This temple is going to fall into disuse. And our trade is going to fall apart. So all of this was to cause a demonic uproar and cause an opposition against the way. And so it says again that the people rushed into the theater and they dragged along two of Paul's traveling companions. Why? Probably because they wanted them to tell them where Paul was. But Paul was being hidden. So Paul, his heart is to protect his people. So let's go on and read verses 30 and 31. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. And also some of the Ossicarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him, repeatedly urging him not to venture. So Paul's, the disciples, his traveling companions, but also the civic leaders who were leading the city just said, please stay away, because if Paul would have entered into the place, he would have been killed. But notice his heart. He wants to defend the gospel, and he wants to draw people to Jesus, and he wants to protect those who are serving with him. That's a pastor's heart. That's an evangelist's heart. And for us, we should have that same heart. Let's move on and read verses 32 through 34. And the scripture says, So then some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and a majority did not know what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded that it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, 
and having motioned with his hands, Alexander was intending to make a defense for the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as to a shout for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So as we move on, the amphitheaters in chaos, people don't really realize why they're there. It's just a big gathering. There's confusion. There's something going on in the city. So the Jews push a Jewish leader named Alexander forward to make a defense for them. And most likely he was trying trying to disassociate the Jews from Paul and Paul's ministry and to let them know that they were not offensive to their gods. Um, But the crowd rejects him and they just go into chaos and they begin shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so verses 35 through 41, as we read the scripture, the scripture says, after quieting the crowd, the crowd clerk, clerk, the town clerk, the town clerk was known for managing the finances. He was a representative of Rome to lead the city. Um, He was very influential. The people would listen to him. He said, men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that our city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of our temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in a lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no reason for the cause of it. And in connection, we will be unable to account for our disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So the town clerk brings order to the confusion. And there are three basic movements in this. First, he said to the crowd uh, that he was making a point with which no one disagreed. Notice, the Christians had not spoken against their goddess and not robbed their temples. They had just proclaimed Jesus. So he's saying in this, nobody has spoken against our goddess. Why are you bringing these people here? The second movement is that Ephesus was a free city. Um, They were free from most of the Roman controls, and uh, they were in danger of being disciplined by Rome. Why? Because there was no reason for the chaos, and Rome was known for order. And so if chaos would come, then there would be penalties that would be brought against the city. And there's two reasons for this. One, it was an unlawful assembly, no reason for it. But two, as they were declaring Artemis, great as Artemis, our goddess, they were declaring her above the emperor. 
And Rome was known for every city that they had conquered in every province that there was emperor worship and the emperor was seen as God and there was incense that was burned to him. So again, they are making much about so much about their goddess that they are dethroning the emperor and they were in danger of this and they were in danger of losing their freedom. And so he's calming the people. And the third thing that he says to them, if there's a dispute, then do it lawfully and bring it to the courts. So in essence, the Lord used the town clerk to bring peace to the church. Our application, what can we learn from the text? As we've been studying through this, I just five things have come to my heart that have challenged me, and may they challenge us as we continue to grow to be more and more like the Lord. First, you can take... <clears throat> People only as far as you have walked with Jesus. Notice Apollos had a passion for the Lord, knew about John the Baptist's ministry, but it says Aquila and Priscilla had to teach him more excellently the way and let him understand the ministry of Jesus and who Jesus was. Apollos was good, but he did not have the complete truth, so he could not teach all the truth. So to lead people... We need to know Jesus intimately, intimately, family. It's not a knowledge about him, but it's knowing him and growing in that relationship with him. And we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit because as we've looked at our study, it is the power of the Holy Spirit through godly people that change the very essence of society around us. And family, we're standing for our community We're standing for our world that God is going to use the very situations that we're in to draw people to faith in him. But that means we need to be pressing in and growing in the full knowledge of our Lord and experience the power of the Holy Spirit through us. The second thing is don't continually contend with those who oppose the gospel. There's a point that we witness and testify to all people and share who Jesus is. But when opposition begins to be confrontive and begins to drive people away from the Lord and bring confusion into people's heart, don't continue to try to force that. Allow God to work in their heart, pray for them, but go to those who are receptive, teachable, and hungry to learn. Focus our efforts on those who want to know more. There are many people that want to know more. The Lord says, look, the fields are white to harvest. The third thing is pray for a move of God with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Recognize that the power of God produces fear and draws people to Jesus. Notice that the work, the victory of the gospel happened as the false exorcists were trying to use the name of Jesus and they were overcome. And it brought a great fear to the church where they began to purify their lives. They began to set aside the stumbling blocks and the things of their past which would block the move of God. They began to live in a holy fear of the Lord. And as they did, the gospel spread rapidly and touched people's lives. Again, the way that you and I live is so key to drawing people to Jesus. If we live like the world, what difference is there? But as we live with the love of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, faith in Jesus, it draws many people to him. Let the Holy Spirit use us to manifest the works of Jesus. Jesus said, the works I do, you will do and greater works than these you will do. 
The fourth thing, focus on proclaiming the gospel and not fighting falsehood. I want you to notice something that in the age that we're living in, that they were living in a time of oppression in a spiritually dark city, but they did not fight against the darkness. What they did was proclaim the truth. They focused their attention on Jesus and that which he said and that which he did rather than trying to convert people from false thinking. They showed the truth. They manifest the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit through the gospel, through the word, by the power of the living Jesus that transforms people's life. Often we fight against that which is negative, that which is darkness, instead of focusing that on the truth. We are told that people who learn to identify counterfeit bills, what they do is they spend time in the safe and they just count money and they count real money. And the more that they count real money just by touch, they know when a counterfeit bill comes across. You and I, as we expose the truth, as we expose the love of God, the gospel will draw more people than trying to fight against the negative aspects of our society and our culture. Our society needs a future and a hope, and that's found in Jesus alone. And the final truth that I got out of this is trust God for deliverance in impossible situations. It seemed like it was doomsday for the church as Demetrius and the metal workers gathered together and the city gathered together in chaos. But God used one man. He used the town clerk to deliver the church. And it was through that aspect that it even brought more glory to the gospel because the church was honored and the message of Jesus was honored as they did not oppress it. So with that, you and I need to trust the Lord that in the times that we live, that there is deliverance. The nature of our God, is He a healer? He is a deliverer. And as we as a people commit ourselves to live the way that Jesus lived in holiness and righteousness, seeking more and more to know our God intimately, being filled with the Holy Spirit and His power, and going forth and declaring the truth, the love of God, that the very essence of a revival will be released around our society and change people's lives. Family, we are not in a hopeless situation. We enter a time that the blessing of the Lord will pull out. And as we as a church are entering into a time of prayer and fasting, we're going to see the kingdom of God loosed in new ways, bonds, bonds being broken, and the kingdom of God is going to advance through our city, through our state, through our country, and the world around us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that today that you would just fill our hearts with faith, with hope, with love. Lord, that you would transform us, that we would live in relationship with you and move in the power of the Holy Spirit to see the kingdom of God advance and darkness be crushed because you have transformed and changed people's lives. Encourage our hearts, Lord. Fill our hearts with faith and love and draw us together in community, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.